Amen. Well, we're glad you're here today. We're continuing a series that we've started talking uh, entitled Pretty Ugly People. What does that mean? I think it's something that all of us have experienced and all of us have dealt with at some point in time in our own life and externally with other people is that the reality sometimes is we focus more attention on outward appearances than inward purity. We focus too much attention sometimes on superficial things instead of spiritual things. And the first week we talked about how it's easy to hide an ugly heart behind a beautiful face. Sometimes we put on a happy face, a beautiful face out in public, but inside there's something that is missing. Uh, Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when you only develop the things that people see, you end up empty in the things that matter. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be people that uh, only are developing those external things in life. And today what I want to talk to you about is that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That's Proverbs 14:30. That there's something deep and internal that takes place when there's unforgiveness in our heart, when we have ill will towards others, something that really is uh, rots you from the inside out and it's a struggle for each and every one of us. So we want to be challenged with that today. I think we all can recognize that life sometimes can get ugly, right? Life can get ugly. And and the question really for all of us is how do we respond when people are ugly towards us? How do we, what, what do we do with that? Because we've all experienced that. And if we're honest, we've all been that person before. How do we respond in a positive way? One of the most difficult things to do. Our world is full of ugliness. Just uh, about a week ago, I was driving on I-70. I have now with my new job, I have a commute on I-70 every day. Most of the time it's nice and smooth. But I was on my way back home on I-70, kind of that stretch between 225 and uh, E-470 where you can, you can fly and go really fast. And somebody uh, right in front of me kind of pulled over uh, in somebody's lane in front of them a little bit. Did not seem crazy, but the truck that got cut off went nuts. Uh, It was was something that was really crazy to see. Uh, Pulled around next to the person, took something out of their car, rolled down the window and threw it driving down I-70 at 70 plus miles an hour. And then this car was swerving and they were swerving back and forth. And the truck was almost like chasing the other car. And I just backed up and got my distance as I was trying to make sure that I wouldn't get in the middle of this ugly situation. And the the truck was literally trying to run the car off the road. And it was Oh, it made me so mad. It made me furious in that moment looking at that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Can you believe this? And I'll tell you what I thought. Here was my first thought. Please forgive me, everyone. But here was my thought. As he was running around on the road like crazy, and I'm like, oh, I hope he gets a flat tire. Oh, I hope he, I hope he kind of just rolls into the, I don't want him to roll and get injured. Okay. I don't want that, but I would love for, ooh, that would be poetic justice. If that car just like went into the ditch and I would just cheer it on and I would probably, I, I, I would stop, make sure they're okay. But, but secretly in my heart, my thought was, Oh, that would be beautiful. That would be perfect if this car doing these crazy, dangerous maneuvers like 
if they like felt that swift justice right there from gravity. Um, that, that, that's, that was my thought. Okay, and I will tell you that there's been a time or two when I'm driving and I do drive I-70 every day and I use the express lane because it's free right now. And uh, there's times where, you know, I cruise along pretty fast. I would say yes, in excess of the speed limit. I won't tell you how high, just in case uh, there's anybody that wants to track me or uh, I know we have some police officers in the room, so I don't want to reveal that information. But there's times like people come up on my bumper and are like, ooh, just want to like go 100 miles an hour and flashing light. I'm like, dude, I'm going plenty fast. You need to relax a little bit. And there's just every now and then a moment where I'm like, maybe I'll just ease up on the gas just a little bit right now. Because I just, there's something in me that when I'm driving and somebody's being ridiculous, I just want to a little bit rub it in. Just a little bit. I just want, I want them to drive by me and I want to just kind of like do one of those little waves and like, kind of, that. There's just something in me that that's my initial reaction. It kind of maybe takes me back to like junior high basketball. Whenever you make a shot, you'd like hold it a little bit. Just hold it, right? Just be like, oh, nothing but, you know, just, just rub it in a little bit. There's something that's inside of me that happens when those moments emerge in my life. And, and I just need to admit that, that, that sometimes... And maybe there are even more serious situations, some that definitely have happened in my life that I don't want to admit here. I'll admit my driving, uh, my, my little driving things. But there's moments where you face an ugly situation and it brings out something ugly within you. And the scripture talks quite a bit about that. It's challenging, it's difficult, but the scripture talks quite a bit about those moments in life. So today we're going to look at a comparison between two kings in the Bible. This is a story from long ago in the Old Testament, but it has timeless truths that we can all glean uh, from this story. The two uh, kings were the two first kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. And it's quite a contrast. Saul was the first king, and it seems like in 1 Samuel 9, 2, it seems like his qualifications for being king was because he looked the part. He was tall, and he looked like a king. In some ways, you know, I always think that's crazy when people talk about this in like elections. They're like, that person looks presidential. I'm like, what does a president look like? But if we're honest, a lot of times those outward appearances and just that look and that air about somebody is a lot of times what people look to first for who they're electing or who they're selecting as king. And that seemed to be the case in the nation of Israel. Sometimes, uh, even though things change, they say the same and that people, human nature is kind of similar. We look at someone and make a snap judgment just based on their appearance. And that's what Saul was like. And David, at the same point in time, it tells us when he was a, a young kid was overlooked. Saul was going to be removed as king and there was going to be a new king. And, and the prophet went searching for a new king and looked at all of David's brothers. But David was kind of overlooked and ignored as the youngest brother. But God whispered something to the prophet Samuel and said this. It says this in Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
What a timely word of truth for us today, even though it's from thousands of years ago, that, that many times we look at these outward things, but God looks deeper than that. And we need to have something that is deeper than that. And so uh, David was anointed to be the next king, but Saul remained king. And there was something bitter that started to emerge in Saul's life. Something that started to creep into his life. And, and the scripture tells us that the spirit of God left him and he was a troubled person. And in fact, they hired David, the next uh, the next king to come in and play the harp to calm him down because he was having just these these emotional outbursts and spells where he couldn't deal with things. Something bitter was emerging in his heart. And the scripture also tells us that it took even a darker turn after the famous story in scripture of David and Goliath, where David, this young boy, shows up to the battlefield and faces the giant and slays the giant. And everyone is unbelievably amazed. And this is what the people begin singing and chanting all around the nation of Israel. First Samuel 18, it says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry and this refrain displeased him greatly. So just to give you a recap of this story and what's going on is, is Saul is anointed king because of his looks. David is a little bit overlooked because he's young, but there's a moment in time where the, the, the sway of the crowd changes and everybody starts cheering David and the king is jealous and angry and so enraged at the fact that he is getting praise instead of him, the king, that he begins a quest in life to kill David. And he chases him around for years. And, and, and it's something that there's a moment in time where David had a choice to make. Was he going to become like Saul, who is obviously an ugly person in this moment, treating him unfairly, or is he going to do something different? That's the decision point that we all face. When you are faced with ugly situations, ugly circumstances, people mistreating you, how do you respond? Tough choice. And, and there is one instance, in fact, that David found himself in an opportunity to uh, take Saul out. And instead, what he does is he cuts a corner of his robe off, actually, while Saul is relieving himself in a cave. This is in the Bible. And he does that so that later he can prove, I could have killed you. Look, this is a piece of your robe, piece of your clothing and look at this. I could have killed you. I could have taken you out, but I didn't. There's a second opportunity in scripture that I want to read because I think it's helpful for us in understanding what do we do in these situations um, where David has a second chance to kill Saul. Saul is doing everything he can to kill David. What do you do in that situation? So, the situation is this, is that David and his men come up on Saul and his men. And one of David's men says this in 1 Samuel 26, verse 8. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't, stri I won't strike him twice. That is just, that's one of those moments that this person is having a little bit of arrogance and saying, I don't miss I will take him out. We can do this right now. But here's what David said. 
Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he'll go into a battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near, Uh, near Saul's head and they left. No one knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. See this moment. And we see this moment and we have these moments where we have a choice. Are we going to respond? There's an instance that I've shared before and thought about quite a bit before in my own life that happened when I was coaching here uh, football at Vista Peak. I was coaching and I was coaching one of the one of the teams here and we had an incredible athlete that was that was very talented and was going on to play college football and was much actually probably the best football player on the field at the at that point in time and we went to a game and it was fairly obvious from the get-go that the other team could do nothing to stop this player and so they resorted to something that is ugly and I've seen in sports sometimes to try to get him kicked out of the game and try to get him to react. They started uh, using racial slurs to this kid. Horrible situation, right? Horrible situation. And as 16-year-old, you could totally understand why they would want to respond back and want to defend themselves. And that would be understandable. But that, there was that moment right there that I felt like I had, I had a chance or an opportunity maybe to say something and hopefully calm the situation. So I spoke with this kid and I don't know if I said the right thing or not. I understand there's, there's so many dynamics at play in that situation. But I said, you know what? I know you. I know your character. I know who you are. That's not you. Don't become like them. Go and win the game and show them your character, your integrity, and do something different. And man, what an incredibly tough moment. But this is moments that we all face in life, right? Where there's incredibly ugly situation and no one, no one would would fault you if you came back at somebody. Nobody would. In certain situations, there may be even a crowd of people behind you that is saying, you know what? Ooh, we need to get revenge in this situation. We need to get back. We need to respond. We need to return with whatever they're sending to us. We need to return that with even more fury, even more fire, even more passion, because that's the only thing that will get the message across. And you know what? There's times in life that there may be people around you and there may even be moments that it comes up in your life where you're like, that is my response. But unfortunately, as we look at it and we understand history has shown That if we just keep being the type of people that return evil for evil, what do we have? We have more evil. And so this is the challenging word in scripture and challenging things that Jesus talks about. And it's this story that that also is talking about is there are times where life is completely unfair. You are facing something, an ugly situation. People are mistreating you. It is not your fault. And it's completely 
understandable that our first reaction would be, ooh, hope, hope they fall in the ditch a little bit. I hope, just, just a little bit. It, it, it's totally understandable that that's our reaction. That we look at others and we want almost in some way for vengeance. We want in some way for revenge. We want people to, to face judgment right here, right now. And we want to be the ones that get to see it and maybe even inflict it. But it's a really tough question that we have to ask is what type of person do we become if we turn, return evil with evil? What do we become? What does it do to our soul? And again, the scripture uh, that I said at the top is, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We can see how Saul was just rotting from the inside out because he was jealous. He was in a fit of rage and he, had, he, he wanted to do nothing else but then to take out David. But David made the tough choice to do something different. It says in verse 13, it says this, when David crossed over to the other side, he stood on the top of the hill some distance away and there was a wide space between them. So he went and stole like Saul's goods to prove again that he could have done something. And he went off a far way away. And it says in verse 17 that Saul recognized David's voice. Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, yes, it is. My Lord, the king. And he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? Now let my Lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go and serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The King of Israel has come to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you have considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed as surely as I value your life today. So may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. They have this interaction from afar where David's like, what is the deal? That's my summary. What's the deal? What are we doing? And Saul says, I'm sorry. Come on down. Come talk to me. Now, I think there's a second thing that we need to realize. Right here, and maybe this is a subtle point. But the reality is, is David made a choice that he wasn't going to take out his vengeance. But David also had some wisdom in this moment. He didn't come running down the mountain and embrace Saul and say, all right, let's hug it out. You know, I can trust you in this moment after you've tried to kill me for multiple years. He stays at a distance and says, nope, here's your stuff. Get you, uh, stop chasing me. And he went away. A second thing that we have to realize, and I don't think this is inappropriate in any way, is that there's moments when there is like these toxic situations where 
it is perfectly appropriate for you to keep your distance. It's perfectly appropriate for you to say, you know what? I'm going to stand some distance away from this situation. I'm going to, I'm going to exit this situation because it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for others. For sure, if somebody continually mistreats you and you've you know, offered and extended forgiveness and opportunity, but it continues, it's perfectly appropriate to say, you know what? I'm going to need some distance in this, this situation. I'm going to set some boundaries. It's perfectly appropriate to say, you know what? This is, this is what's appropriate for me. And if you're going to treat me like this, I'm not going to, we're not going to hang out as much anymore. We're not going to, we're not, you're not going to be in my inner circle. And it's appropriate for you to set boundaries with people. And it's appropriate for you to tell the truth. What I would say is the best thing you can do in a situation where it's just an ugly situation, where you feel like you've done the right thing, but you've been mistreated, to tell the plain truth in a way that is not emotional or mean-spirited, to say, you've mistreated me several times. You've done this several times to me. And I am going to offer you forgiveness, but uh, you've lost some of my trust. And so I'm not going to put myself in that situation anymore. And so I just want to let you know that. Uh, you know, we can maintain a cordial relationship, but I, you, you've lost some of my trust. And so I'm, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that road again. It's okay to speak the truth in that way, in a way that is, yeah, not trying to be harmful or mean-spirited or anything like that, but to set boundaries and say, I'm not going to go down that road again. That is also okay. We don't have to f- fall into some kind of delusion that as Christian people that forgive over and over and over, we need, we, it's okay to be mistreated. No, it's not okay to be mistreated. That's not true. But the question is, is what's going on inside of our hearts? And so we see how David made that choice that he wasn't going to take vengeance. We see how David made a choice that he was going to set boundaries and distance himself. And then... There's another thing that we see later on in the story. In 2 Samuel 2, Saul dies. The king dies. And that's a moment in time where most people would rejoice. But it says in that moment, in 2 Samuel 2, what what David did is in that moment he mourned. He did not celebrate and rejoice that this person passed away, that this person died. You know, I think that all of us would say there's maybe a sense of relief that the person who is chasing you down. But in that moment, what he chose is he said, I'm not going to rejoice in somebody else's demise. I'm not going to do that. And I think that that's another lesson that we can learn from the life of David. That it's okay for you to set boundaries and to distance yourself from some people, but I don't think it's ever appropriate. And there's something going on inside of us that rots the soul if we rejoice in others' demise, if we rejoice when something goes bad in somebody else's life, if we rejoice in evil in any way. We should never rejoice in evil. Instead, if our heart is close to God, what we should do is we should only rejoice in the truth. We should only rejoice in goodness. And when evil is prevailing or evil is around us, it should sadden our hearts. And we should never rejoice in that. You see what what David said is he said, I'm going to leave judgment. I'm going to leave consequences to God. And I'm not going to rejoice in others' demise, even if they've mistreated me. The best thing that we can do 
when others are mistreating us, is follow Jesus' example. Pray for your enemies. Forgive those. It doesn't mean, again, that you have to, you have to join in the drama. It doesn't mean that. But it shouldn't be a moment where we take glee in somebody else's demise. You see, there's so many lessons here that are really hard ones that we can learn. And we have to overall just ask ourselves is what type of person are we becoming? What type of person are we in response to a world that sometimes is really, really ugly? You know, in the world, in a world of revenge, I will tell you that being a person of forgiveness is incredibly transforming. It's rare, right? In a, in a world of everybody wanting to get theirs and get revenge and get back at somebody, if you forgive, that's transformational. In a world of selfishness, and we live in a world of selfishness, right? Being a person of service, that's inspiring. Really is. In a world that is just trying to look out for myself, look out for myself, if you're willing to serve others, that is like noteworthy and inspiring and inspirational. In a world of hate, and we live in a world of hate, right? Love is surprising and shocking. You look at David from afar saying, you know what? Let's move on. It's shocking, surprising. It stands out. And in many ways, this is the picture that we get in Scripture of the life of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he taught forgiveness. He demonstrated it through service. And he did the greatest act of sacrificial love that we've ever seen in human history by giving up his life for all of us. The most, one of the most inspirational parts of Scripture for me is what Jesus did from the cross. As he looks at a criminal next to, them, next to him, and the criminal's like, Jesus, can you remember me? And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two times in the book of Luke, Jesus forgives people from the cross. This is the picture. Man, is it challenging. Man, is it hard. It's not natural. It's not probably our first inclination. But it's the challenge of Scripture to say, will you be something different, something unique? Don't return ugly behavior with ugly behavior. Be somebody different. Demonstrate something. Live out something that will transform, inspire, and surprise people because of how you respond. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these words of wisdom. Man, that's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard not to just react immediately when somebody wrongs us. It's really hard, God, sometimes not to just lose our temper, to lash out in anger to try to get revenge, to try to hurt other people, God, but help us. Do something deep inside our hearts, in our souls.
that we're transformed from the inside out. And so God, forgive us. Because I know a lot of times for me, I want to return evil for evil. So God, help me. And God, help us to change our, our anger, our bitterness towards other, towards prayer. There's still pain, there's still hurt that we experience. There's still wisdom that we need to practice. But God, help us to pray for those who mistreat us. Help us never to rejoice in evil. God, help us, we pray. And forgive us of our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.